Welcome to Life Center Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and our church, visit lifecenternyc.com. Last time I spoke, I told you we were going to talk about the assignments, and we never got there. So we're going to do it today. Amen? Um, To give some clarity for those who maybe this is your first time, I've said this, I think, each meeting, but I I think it just helps demystify and and make it not such a big word. But, you know, the apostolic or apostle, when we're teaching about these things, we're not teaching about us becoming one of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. You know, that is something that is reserved for the 12. There was only one replacement. That was Judas got replaced. And we're not replacing any, anyone else. We're not establishing that. But we're just talking about an apostolic anointing, an apostolic call that is still on the church. It was on the early church. It was on the historical church. And it's on the church today where the Bible tells us the foundations of the church, you know, Jesus being the chief cornerstone, but it's built upon the, the apostles and the prophets, on the apostolic, on the prophetic. Why? I mean, one of the practical things is the apostolic helps you see what's going on in heaven, which is that the Lord's prayer on earth as it is in heaven. It gives us insight into heaven. Well, what exists there? What's going on there? And how can we enter into that assignment, pray in this way, our Father in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The apostolic anointing gives us eyes to see what's going on in heaven and bring those realities to the earth. And yes, there are certain realities that may be reserved for eternity and for uh, you know a, a time at the end of the age, but there are a lot and even portions of things that might be reserved there that is a now and not yet, a reality that we can experience like heavenly realities even before eternity. Things like, you know, being free from fear, being free from, you know, bondage, being free from things that have held us. Yeah, there's freedom in heaven. There could be freedom here on earth. Um, I also think understanding that the apostolic and the prophetic, they go hand in hand. I think in the modern church, in the last 20 years, we've become more comfortable with the prophetic. We've become more normative with things like prophets and things like the prophetic anointing in the prophetic church, probably for a couple decades. But the foundation is on the apostolic and the prophetic. So kind of having an understanding of the apostolic and what does that mean for you? Because just as we're, you know, we all have our unique gifting, we all still can function in multiple different giftings. And I said this one of the weeks, we have pastors, right? I'm, I'm a pastor here, Bill's a pastor here, there's pastors here. But there's times where we're all called to be pastoral. You're going to disciple people, you need to be able to be pastoral. We have teachers that have a teaching anointing and a teaching gift, but we're all called to teach. We have evangelists whose heart is to go and to go outside the four walls of the church and to release the gospel of the kingdom and to save souls. But we're all called to evangelize. And in the same way, we have people who have a prophetic ministry and a prophetic anointing. We see that the apostle Paul says, above all the gifts, desire earnestly that you would prophesy. So we're all called to prophesy. And in the same way, we're all called to be apostolic, to be an apostolic church and to lay foundational things 
that exist in the heavenly places that have been established in the early church, that was established by, by Jesus himself, and to see what's happening in heaven now, what's on the heart of the Lord right now, what are you wanting to say? What is it in scripture that you revealed in, in the early church, in the Old Testament, that's still applicable for today and being able to establish those things? And as we said, have Christ-like character. As we said, uh, do the things like family first and don't want to preach the whole message that I preached before, but also enter into a apostolic assignments. And so we're gonna, we're gonna dive into that today. I wanna read just a few... Um, thoughts that I had jotted down even, I think this is a week or two ago as I was preparing, just about us, just about the apostolic people, some more kind of visionary things. The apostolic is relational in that the structure of, of an apostolic church is, is not a, a legal structure. It's not a, a business model, but it's a family model. It's built on relationship. It's about coordination and not control. I'm not looking to get you to do what I want you to do. I'm looking to coordinate with you and, hey, let's do something together. It's about uh, charisma and not rationale, meaning not just what we can ration with our, our, our human understanding, but we're entering into the charismata, the gifts of God, meaning we get to do things that would be impossible without him. You know, I would say the only way to measure faith, if you're moving in faith, is to face impossible things. Because if I can do the thing in front of me without God, then I, I just wonder if I'm just leaning in my own strength or if I'm really depending on him. And as we grow and as we mature, the things that took great faith in our life don't take great faith anymore. And so then there's this invitation, okay, let's move to the next mountain. Let's move to the next thing and let's, let's run at it with the Lord and with faith. And I think we need the apostolic to see revival and reformation. And I'll, I'll give the definition again too. And I want to talk a little bit even about the early church. You know, the apostolic or the word apostle, it's a sent one. It's one that's being sent out. Jesus was the first sent one. As the father sends me, so I send you. And then he sent out apostles and then he sent out the 72. And then the 72, they sent out people. I mean, there's this constant model of ministry that's not just professional ministry, but ministry of what it looks like to equip the saints. It's equipping them and sending them out. And we do that here today. The apostolic and the, the, the gifts and the, the ministries of the leadership of the church is to equip the saints. It's to equip you. And as I've been saying, you know, you guys... The congregations, they will see more of the stuff than we will ever see if we're doing our jobs right. Because we're equipping you, we're, we're pastoring you, we're tending to your heart, we're moving with empathy, we're moving with compassion, we're, we're you know, discipling, getting people healed up, but then we're equipping you, we're building you up, we're, we're putting tools in your tool bag so that when you go out, you could build the kingdom. We build a part of the kingdom in these four walls, but the kingdom is, is not the church. It's the kingdom of heaven. And so we, we see the apostle. It's a sent one. It's actually from a, a Greek word, which I won't try to say. Tammy will say it one day, and then we'll be like, that's how you say it. But what they would do, the Greeks and the Romans borrowed it from the Greeks and kind of like really made it work, but they would send out fleets of ships uh, to go conquer land. 
And they wouldn't just destroy the land because they wanted to keep the people and they wanted to keep the things that were there, but they went to conquer in a way that they had, you know, they were getting control. They were establishing the kingdom of Rome, but they were also in an intense way, in a practical way, but in an on-purpose way, establishing the culture of Rome. And we see that even with Pilate and what he was doing in Jerusalem. And he was setting up uh, uh, the kingdom of Rome in Jerusalem and creating Roman culture so that, and most likely the Caesar would come through, would come through Jerusalem on, for many different reasons, which we won't go into. But when he would come through, he would feel at home because he would see things that you would see in Rome. He would experience culture that you would see in Rome. And they didn't just set it up amongst them, but they would take the people, they wanted to take the Jews and get the Jews engulfed in Roman culture. So the Jews were very familiar with Roman culture because it was being taught to them because someone came, conquered their land and established a kingdom there of Roman culture. And in the same way, Jesus then comes, borrows this word and and begins to reveal the father who is in heaven and heaven's culture and heaven's ways and takes his apostles, takes his disciples, and then would take the 70 and 72, teaching them the ways, you know, imparting gifts, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to do different things so that they could go and establish the kingdom of God and the culture of heaven to the people and the places they were in. So much so that we actually see, and I forget what town it is, but they, the apostles or the, the whoever it was comes into the town and says, oh, these are, we know these guys. These are the guys that are turning the world upside down. You guys know that verse? I should have the chapter and verse for you, but I'll get it for you next time. But it, it's this thing of, of governmental official, and it's right there in the scripture that says of these disciples as they're going out, like, oh no, watch out, here these guys come. These are the guys that have been turning the world upside down, which is an implication that what they were doing was disrupting culture. The apostolic is not just this thing that comes in gently. It's this thing of the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent, we take it by force. Not in the ways of violence of men with swords and guns and ammunition, but it's the ways of we are coming to confront the culture of this world with the culture of heaven. So, what is it? Acts 17, 6. Oh, they put it up. Thank you. But, they did, but when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. What, it would, what would it be like if today the church would rise up in such a way with heaven's blueprints, with heaven's strategies, with the character of Christ in such a way that wherever we go, culture becomes so impacted that they can recognize us just by the way that we live our life and the words that we say. They weren't coming in and saying, we're here to turn your world upside down. And they weren't coming in saying, don't follow Roman culture. They just came in with power, signs and wonders, demonstrations of the spirit and with the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom. And just by doing those things, the world they were in was completely disrupted in a, in a good way. And so I want to talk about some assignments. Some, we all have individual assignments. We all have individual, you know, different giftings. But there are some assignments that are not unique. They are for all of us as the church. And one of those things is as an apostolic church, we cast vision. 
we cast vision, whether it's yearly vision, lifelong vision, short-term, long-term. We are ones who have vision. It's the Habakkuk 2-2, right? It's the write the vision on the tablet, make it plain, make it simple, make it clear so that the people can run with it. And this is not just for leadership teams, but this is also for our life. There's, there is a vision that God wants to give you for your life that is plain and it's simple and it's clear. And I would practically probably write it down. I would have it in a journal somewhere. I would have it, you know, even when Jenny and I were, were dating, we went through a course and we, we made a vision statement as a couple. We made a mission statement as a couple of where do we want to go in our life? And we had to narrow it down. I mean, they had the whole bunch of tools, but we made it simple. We made it clear. We made it plain so that we can see where are we going and where are we going together? And so whether you're married, whether you're in a family, whether you're, you're not married yet, there is a call for us to be visionaries, to not just live life loosely, you know, loosey-goosey, just doing what we want, going about our day, we're doing the routines. Let's not just live at a routine. Let's live on purpose. Let's have vision for our life. And apostolic people, they find out, Lord, yes, I know my destiny. My destiny is heaven. My destiny is to live righteous. My destiny is to have Christ-like character. It's all of our destiny. We have the same destination. That's heaven. But what's the vision for our life? What's the assignments he's given us? Let's find that out. Let's, you know, discover that on a yearly basis. Let's look back and look forward and write things down and let's run towards a vision, towards a target. And I believe if God gives us vision, well, I believe that God is the one that gives us vision, that he also gives us divine strategy on how to get there. And if he gives you the vision, he'll give you the strategy and he'll give you the tools that will get you there. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says that no freshly spoken word of God will ever come to you that does not contain its own ability to perform itself. It's powerful, but it's, it's scripturally true. If he's the one that's giving you the vision, he will release the grace to get you there. And it might feel like, Lord, this seems impossible. Well, I promise you, the grace you need for tomorrow is waiting in tomorrow for you to arrive. Let's get vision. Let's find, Lord, what is, what's your word for, for, for my life? And I'm not just saying like we need a, a new, I don't think he's gonna give you a new vision every year. You know, I think he'll build upon a vision. I think he might call you to something. I think he might assign you to something, but you're not gonna get a new major life assignment every year. You know, it's like, well, what's, what's the word of the Lord for 2022? Well, now what's the word of the Lord for 2023? Well, now what's the word of the Lord for 2024? And that's good and that's great. But the point is, there is longevity in him. Amen. And if there's longevity in him, there's longevity in us. And so what is the vision for 10 years? What is the vision for 20, 20 years? And then when you get those long-term visions, okay, well, what am I doing this year to get to where I wanna go 10 years from now? We cast vision. We have vision. An apostolic church, we have authority to wage warfare. We have authority to make apostolic decrees by binding and loosing. Now, we could do a whole sermon on this, but we're not. Okay, we're just going to touch on this a little bit. Turn to Ephesians six twelve with me. Is it up there yet? 
Ephesians 6.12. We'll just read it. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And one of the things for me, and I think one of the ways to see a shift in the church, in a city, in a region, is when we as an apostolic church begin to wage warfare in this way, okay? So what do I mean by that? Meaning our fight is not against flesh and blood. So my enemy is not you. My enemy is not the mayor. My enemy is not the president. My enemy is not the governor, even if they're doing things I don't agree with. We are waging warfare against spiritual things against principalities. So it's things like fear. I'm waging a war on fear in my life. It's things like doubt. I'm gonna wage a war on doubt. It's things like unbelief. It's, you know, fill in the blank. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's relational brokenness. We're gonna wage war on these spiritual things that hold us back, maybe hold our church back, maybe hold our city back, maybe hold our region back, maybe hold our nation back. But we're not just going to get into things that the Lord's not asking us to get into either. So for me, how do I, in a simple way, do spiritual warfare? I'm not just rebuking the spirit of Jezebel everywhere. Okay? I'm not just rebuking anything anywhere unless the Lord is asking me to do so. If I'm confronted by something of a spiritual battle, I'm going to first ask the Lord, hey, Lord, have you given me authority to, to wage this? And if he says yes, then I'm going to wage it. If he says no, I'm going to go talk to someone else and say, hey, you might need to pray for this. I'm not in because I'm not wanting to step in. I don't want to fight a battle that I'm not prepared to fight. Because then you end up like David. David had to fight a battle of, of sexual purity when he saw the other woman on the roof because he was in a place he shouldn't have been in in the first place because he should have been out at war and then was confronted with a battle that he wasn't prepared to win because he was in a place he shouldn't have been. I think a lot of times we see defeat in spiritual warfare because we're somewhere we're not supposed to be. When God gives us a a divine assignment, especially maybe over a city, a region, maybe it's over a school, Let's bring it even micro. Maybe it's over your family. Maybe it's over your neighborhood. Maybe it's just your block. Maybe it's your apartment complex, right? And you're taking on this as, as an assignment. We don't want to be ignorant of spiritual things, right? Because we understand that there is a very real devil. There is a very real enemy. We're not being ignorant of that. But we know that God's given us authority. And so it's just, okay, Lord, well, what have you given me authority in? And if this is new to you, like for, maybe for me, I'm just gonna pray for my family right now. I'm gonna take these next six months and I'm gonna just wage spiritual warfare over my family. I'm gonna fight that my family, my wife, my kids, maybe it's mom and dad, maybe it's brothers and sisters. I'm gonna pray, Lord, let us be free of fear. Let us have unity with one another. Let us be one. Lord, uh, let your presence come encounter us. Lord, whatever is keeping you, whatever's keeping us from experiencing your love, whatever's hindering love in our lives. And you're just going through those things just on a micro level with your family before you start taking on, honestly, a, a, a spiritual warfare over a nation. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's be practical. Let's be real. Let's start somewhere, you know? And if I wanted to be a, a pub, uh, well, I guess technically I am a public speaker. So if, but 
I want to be a public speaker, right? Uh, here I am. I'm at church. I'm speaking. I'm not going to be looking to go get, get a speaking engagement at Madison Square Garden. That's just not practical. I'm not going to go on the rich speaking tour. It's not going to happen. It's not happening today. It's not happening this year. It's probably not happening next year. And so it's like, I want to, I want to fight the battles in a practical way. I want to do something in a practical way that is attainable, but it's also stretching my faith. And so it's important for us to know that the enemy is not going to just sit still. He's not going to say, you know, be my guest, go ahead and, and you can have your family now, even though I've been wreaking havoc on your family. Yeah, you can just go have it now. There is, there is a battle, but the battle's in prayer. The battle's in intercession. And it, the battle is not fought alone. You do it with the Lord, meaning he's bearing my burdens as I bear my brother's burdens. So I'm lifting up my brother in prayer. I'm lifting up, up, up in intercession. I'm being my brother's keeper. But when I'm done with that prayer, I say, okay, Lord, this is heavy. Carry this with me. It's the yoking myself to the Lord. As we know, oxen re-yoked. It's this thing. It's an egg yoke. It's this thing that go, goes around their neck, chains them together. It's pulling a cart, right? And when we yoke ourselves to the Lord and we're moving the direction that he's moving, who's pulling the most weight? Him him. But if I'm going in a direction he's not going in, then I'm feeling the strain and the stress. But if I can go in the direction he's going in, if I can pray in the, in the direction he's leading me to pray, teaching me to pray, then these burdens in prayer that I'm lifting, they're not so hard to lift because he's lifting them with me. He's pulling them with me. And if I'm going in the direction he's going in, that I'm not staying stagnant, we're moving. We're moving forward. And Jesus not only gave us power over the enemy, but he gave us weapons. Matthew 16, 19. Let's turn there really quick. Matthew 16, verse 19. It says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, this is a very popular verse, obviously, for binding and loosing. Um, but the topic can be a little confusing. But what I love that's kind of revealed, well, let me, let me do it this way. If you look up, um, I use this tool called Blue Letter Bible. You can take a, a verse, you can put it in there, and then you can kind of see like the Greek literal translation, which doesn't always make sense, but then you can kind of like rephrase it so that it makes sense. And so I kind of, I went in there and it says this for this verse, Matthew 16, 19. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you forbid on earth must be what is already forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth must be what is already permitted in heaven. And for me, that helped bring insight because it's like, oh, I can't just bind and loose whatever I want to bind and loose. My mother's being annoying. I bind you. You know, my boss is giving me a schedule that I don't want to get. I bind that spirit of a, of a bad schedule. Do you understand? Like, people have done weird things with binding and loosing and they've loosed things that don't exist in heaven either and so it's just like I, you know it's and I love this because then binding and loosing doesn't just become this this reactionary thing it's actually something that you need to sit with the Lord sit with the scripture and say okay I'm going through this hard situation is there a spiritual battle battle here Lord okay yeah it is okay well what what is the opposite of this in heaven I'm going to loose that. I'm going to bind this spirit of fear because it doesn't exist in heaven. 
and I'm going to lose power, love, and a sound mind. It's finding out what is already bound in heaven. There's no fear in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven. There's no demonic torment in heaven. And so then we know, okay, those are things that we have authority to bind. And then what do we lose? We lose the realities of heaven. So I can bind sickness and disease over a person, and I can loose wholeness, healing, restoration. Now, that's helpful to understand the concept. Now, the reality is, do we see the breakthrough immediately? Sometimes yes, sometimes no. What do you do with that? I've prayed for a lot of people, and I, I've not seen them get healed. And my wrestle then is there, okay, Lord, I need more breakthrough. We see the certain things that only come out by prayer and fasting. So it's, it's not this, this reactionary thing. It's a lifestyle. It's this wrestling. It's this, okay, Lord, I want to experience more of heaven. I want to bring heaven's realities to the earth. So this binding and loosing, it's not, it's not this this action where we're just, because I feel like sometimes it can be people on people. And we're fighting, we're going back to the fighting people thing instead of fighting spiritual principalities. And we go back to this thing where we just want instantaneous results when sometimes it's going to take this contending with the Lord to bind the strong man that's not man, but it's a spiritual reality. In other words, when we're looking at Matthew 16, 19 and binding and loosing, the initiation a lot of the times is from heaven, is from the Lord. It's the Lord inviting us. And if the Lord's inviting us, I bet that when the Lord asks us to do something, we'll see results more than when we're asking the Lord to do something. Does that make sense? That's why listening to God's voice is a huge part of prayer. It's a huge part of what we do as Christians, as living our lifestyle, we want to get the inside of heaven. At the end of this, I felt like one of the things the Lord wants to release today is ears to hear and eyes to see. I really, we've, I've prayed it a lot throughout the years, but even this morning I felt he wants to give us ears to hear and eyes to see. What are we hearing? Him. What are we seeing? Him. So that we can get insight of what he's saying and what he's doing. Okay, I want to address one last thing. Because I think when we get into this topic, and even with the apostolic, I feel like there's this doubt that sets in. Where it's like, well, okay, Rich, that makes sense for you. That makes sense for them because they can hear God. But I, I don't hear God. Yeah, okay, you're going to pray for me to have eyes to see and ears to hear. But I don't know if that's going to happen. And this, this natural thing of unbelief comes in. And so... This is a practical tool that I heard from Dan McCollum, a pastor out in California. And when he said it, it kind of like, it was like, oh, it's so simple. He was basically laying out when people are praying or whatever, they're going about the day, and then some, a thought comes to their mind or a revelation comes to their mind about praying for someone, about teaching something, about ministry, whatever it is, this thought comes to their mind. And the most natural thing that we have as Christians a lot of times is, oh, that might be God, but it's probably just me. 
And we often, especially beginning the journey of hearing God or moving in the gifts of God, we often will we'll have this thing that this whisper that creeps in and sneaks in like, yeah, that might be God, but it's probably just you. It's probably just the pizza you ate last night. It's probably just whatever. And so Dan said, if we could just switch that around, just switch that thought around just a little bit. Instead of saying, oh, it's probably, it might be God, but it's probably me. Why, why don't we just approach that thought, approach those things, approach those whispers that we're hearing, those revelations we're seeing the scripture, those things that jump out. And we say, it might be me, but it's probably God. Really good. It might be the pizza I ate last night, but it's probably the Lord speaking to me. And if we could adjust just that little bit of thinking, we can watch as we step out in faith and act on that thing that we thought might be me, but it's probably God. Maybe it's to pray for someone. Maybe it's to prophesy over someone. Maybe it's to pray for healing. Maybe it's to take a risk on this new job. Maybe it's to start that new thing. Maybe it's to go for restoration on this relationship. And there's this little inward nudging and saying, do you know what, Lord? That's probably you. Watch as you find him on the other side. Watch as heaven begins to open up to you because you've started to realize, oh, those whispers, those little nudges, that was him. When I teach people on the prophetic or even giving words of knowledge and we ask, you know, we do an activation, I'll tell them, hey, let's ask the Lord for a word for someone. Like, we're gonna minister. We're gonna, I'm gonna pray for cult. I'm gonna encourage him. I'm gonna say, okay, Lord, what do you wanna say for cult? I tell people, the f after you pray, Lord, what do you wanna say for cult? The first thought that comes to your mind, say that. Just say that. Just go for it. And then let's see what happens. You know, it takes this, this stepping out in faith, this stepping over the chicken line, this stepping past that initial fear, that initial feeling of just, well, I'm not going to say nothing. And then you find that you just simply step past that and take a risk and go for it. Watch as God begins to show up. And as you do it little by little and over and over, and you make practice of it, and you're diligent with it, you will not need to step over the chicken line. You will begin to learn the language of heaven. So you'll begin to learn the language of God. You'll begin to learn the way he speaks to you, and you'll recognize him every time. Yeah. And now I've been in this for, for 10 years. They've been in it for 30 plus years. There is still that thought that creeps in all the time, like, no, nah, it's probably you. Don't say nothing that wants to sneak its way back in when we're getting apathetic, when we're settling in, when we're going through a hard time, when we're going a hard, uh, having a hard day or a hard year, a hard season, where it's just like, if the enemy could stop us functioning in our gifts, if he could stop us from gathering, if he could stop us from reading this and just, just doing the simple things. Do you understand? His, his ways are, are not dynamic. They're simple. And if we would step past that and begin to take risks, we'll watch the Lord show up in our lives in practical ways. So the larger point here that we're, we're saying is an apostolic people, when partnering with the Lord, can and will see battles won in the heavenly places, causing them to be won in the earthly realm. You will see victories as you begin to approach this with the Lord. Okay, another assignment of the apostolic church, we are a people of connection. We are a people of family. 
We are not an isolated people. There is this thing that comes in where you're having a hard day or maybe the Lord's calling you to something like, well, the Lord's calling me to come away with him. That never means isolating yourself. I'm I'm on sabbatical. You don't do sabbatical alone. You don't. You don't do Sabbath alone. You don't do rest alone. Like we're, okay, introverts, you can have your alone time. I'm not taking away your alone time. But the point is, the Christian life is meant to be done in family. And if it's family, there's connection. Meaning, not only am I with people, but I'm seen by people. Now, this is, this is deeper than you might think. I, I went to Bethel in 2017. And I discovered in 2017, growing up in the church, I don't know, maybe I was 27 or 28 or 29. I don't know how old I was, 2017. But at that point, I've been a Christian five years ago, 28. All right. Thank you, Bill. (laughs) 28 years old, Christian my whole life. Maybe I can pinpoint sixth grade as when I knew, okay, God is real, real. Like, he's really real. So 10, 15 years in the faith. Leader. Leading... Uh, at resting place. I'd been leading there for eight years at that point. Married, have a kid in a ministry school, second time going to ministry school. At 28 years old, I found out I sabotage every relationship that I've ever been in. That no one actually knows who I am because I've never allowed anyone to see me. I've done ministry with them. I've prayed with them. I've gone on vacation with them. I've laughed with them, but they don't know what I'm hurting. They don't know what I'm celebrating. They don't know my dreams. They don't know me. And we think the fear of connection is because we don't want people to see the bad stuff. But I find more often people hide their dreams deeper down than they hide their issues. That boldness to, to share your weakness is actually more common than boldness to share the real you. We're a connected people. And so if, to be connected, I need to fully show up and be fully me, and you need to fully show up and be fully you. That means with all your good stuff and all your mess. As leaders of this church, we're, we're not afraid of your mess, but I also want to say this. We're not afraid of your dreams. Amen. <laughs> and I want to go one step further. Being in church... I found that, you know, there's this desire to be known by the leaders, and that's fine, and that's good. But there are leaders sitting all around you right now. There are people around you that are going to be lifelong friends. If you would just open up your heart to them, and they would open up your heart to you. If you would actually take the time and interrupt your schedule and say, hey, let's get together this week. I don't know you. You don't know me, but I want to know you. You find someone functioning in a gifting, in a breakthrough that you want to function in. And you're like, hey, I want to hang out. I want to be around you. I like the way you love your wife. I like the way you take care of your kids. I like the way that you, you work at your job. I just want to be around you. I want to get to know you. What's the dreams on your life? What are you believing for? What, is, what are you struggling with? How can I pray for you? Asking more than how's the weather, where are you from? There's a drought in the church of this because the, 
Enemy wants us to be isolated. He wants you to be alone because it's easier to get you alone. But when you're in family, when you're in community, you know, when you're in covenant with one another, a three-strand cord is not easily broken. We use that for marriage, but it's covenant of relationship, not just relationship of marriage. Now, I have covenant friends that I've been friends with for years, and we've had falling outs, and we've had fights, and we've had battles, and we leave that room committed to each other's relationship anyway. Because I, I am not just going to walk away from a 10-year friendship because they did something that hurt me so bad, and they betrayed me. I value the friendship more than I value my, my need to be right in the betrayal. And so the first one to the cross wins. Imagine I live that way with my wife. It's probably why half the church ends up in divorce. We got to be fully known. We got to be seen. Jesus modeled this. He was intimately involved with his mother, with his siblings. He was intimately involved with the 72 or the 70. He was intimately involved with the 12. Of the 12, he had the three. He modeled relationship with a group who did not understand him. But his value for relationship was so great that he would still be moved with compassion for them and still lead them. And there... I'll say this. We'll leave that for another, another day. There's other models too, you know? Paul was connected initially with Barnabas. He traveled with the team. He was connected with Luke. He was connected with John. He was connected with Mark. Later, you know, he and Barnabas did part ways, but he would pick up a Silas. He would pick up a Timothy. He would raise up sons and daughters. They established relational equity with each other. And they ran together. They didn't do one man, one woman shows. They didn't live their life alone. And even as families, my, you know, it's something that Jenny and I wrestled with some years back. We, we were at a point where we realized we were so engulfed with each other that we were isolating ourselves from our, our friends and from friendships and realizing, oh, we, we need a community around us. We need people who know us because if I know your dreams and you know my dreams. We can push each other forward to the high call of God that's on our lives. When the apostolic church does this well and runs together, it will grow the body of Christ and advance the kingdom. Because let me tell you something, this doesn't exist outside of the kingdom of God. Outside of, their, outside of this reality, it's cutthroat. It's how can, how can I get to where I need to go and use you to get there? But it's here, it's how can I serve you and get you to where you need to go? Well, we could, we'll do a whole sermon one day on relationships. Yeah. Apostolic people resolve conflicts. I guess we're going to hit this from another end. I forgot this is here. <laughs> we're anointed to resolve conflicts. This is probably the unglorious part of ministry and leadership and lifestyle Christianity. But it is part of who we are. We are given the ministry of reconciliation. 
And not only do we reconcile people to God, but we reconcile people to each other. How exciting. (laughs) And I don't think maybe the church has really done this well over the years, but I'm sure some churches have. Um, But this this includes continuing to disciple people who have fallen. It includes discipling people who are dealing with major struggle and major issue. It's discipling people who have been in immorality and want restoration. You know, like, I'm not talking about resolving someone and, and walking someone through something who doesn't want it. Okay, that's, that's a whole different scenario. I'm talking about walking through the hard situations with people who want to be better, who want to be right, who want to live right, and they're just going through it right now. Let's turn Matthew 18, verse 15. You guys good? Matthew 18, verse 15, it says, it's words in red. So our best friend wrote this, Jesus. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Stop right there. What's our normal? Our brother sins against us. We go to him because we want to let him know what we think. We want to tell him what he did wrong and how he messed up. But do you see what the goal is? The goal is to regain your brother. If you go in with accusations, you're not gaining a brother back. But you're going in saying, hey, you did this. It affected me in this way. This is what I need. And I want to be in relationship with you. This, the goal is restoration. It's also the, the opposite side. You don't have to just let people run over you all the time. You can actually go and confront in a healthy way and take the risk, let your heart be vulnerable and exposed before them and say, hey, you did this thing. It bothered me in, in this way. I felt this way. This is what I need in this moment. This is what I need in our relationship, even moving forward. Can we talk through this? Verse 16 doesn't go well. So if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more, and that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. You need help, you bring help. You find someone that can go with you. You find a, a, a neutral party, one or two others that can come with you. Hey, it got, got to the point we can't do this. I'm not just going to walk away from this relationship. I'm going to fight for it. And that's why I'm here. I'm not here to just make you hurt because you hurt me. I'm here because I want restoration and I want to get through this. And we're in the same family or we're in the same circle. We're in the same church. And I want to be able to still do life with this person. So I'm going to fight for the relationship. So you bring people with you that can help along. But if he refuses to hear them, then tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him, excuse me, be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, sorry. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This is from that same scripture here. But remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. We're not fighting with this person. And I don't often think our conflicts will lead to the rebuking from the church. 
from the from the pulpit. I think that's reserved for things that are, are much more major. But I think the mo- the model is simple in that we go to people, and if we need help, we bring people in. We let the church come and and help bring healing because the church itself has value for relationship and has value for people being connected. And I think the other reality is this. When someone hurts me, I should go to them. I shouldn't go to 12 other people to process it. That's not processing. That's gossiping. Maybe you go to one. Maybe you go to two. Maybe you go to a pastor and a leader because you, don't, you just don't know what to do with it and you don't have the tools. That's okay. But we're not processing everyone, so we're building a case against this person with everyone that knows this person. Yeah. And now this mess that had spilled paint is now being splattered on all these other people that weren't involved in the mess anyway. Yeah. And then this little mess has become a big mess that needs to then be cleaned up. Now, go to the person. Talk to them. Reason with them. Come with love. Come with compassion. This, this is not, this is a learned thing. This is something that doesn't always come naturally. But if we don't go for it, and if we don't exercise this, because there is the other thing. There, and sometimes I want someone else just to resolve all my conflicts. And so I'll just go to a leader, go to someone like, hey, this person did something to me, can you, can you handle it? And that's, and I get that, that's fine. There's a place for that. But you are, equipped with love, with compassion, with language to meet the person in love and resolve things on your own. If you need help, yes, we're here to help. Yes, we're here to, to and different ones are here to bring insight and to be like the two or three other that comes. But we want, even when someone hurts us, I'm not trying to hurt them and I'm not trying to expose them. And I'm just reminded, I'm reminded of Noah. Like Noah, this amazing guy, ends up getting drunk after and, and naked after the ship comes, and then his one son exposes him, but the other two sons come in walking backwards because they won't, don't want to see the exposing of their father who's doing something wrong. And that's how we approach conflict with people. We're not exposing them. We're trying to cover them and maybe bringing a restoration between us and them or them and someone else. Do you get what I'm saying? The heart is way different than our initial want to be right or want to vindicate ourselves because it just feels good. And not every relationship will be restored and not everything will go well. There is the thrill of victory and there is the agony of defeat. Sometimes it just one or both parties are just not able to get there and that's, that's okay. But I do think there's an invitation to actually enter into that part of the ministry of reconciliation. And again, it's not the most enjoyable assignment of the church, but I do think that it's something that's indispensable. We have to enter into this and we have to do it well. Okay, I have one last point and then we'll be done. I know it's 12 o'clock, one o'clock. That, that clock is an hour behind. Okay, I think we have spheres of influence. I'm not gonna go deep into this. Um, as an apostolic people, as an apostolic church, as apostolic individuals, I think the Lord calls us to specific spheres. I think one of the obvious ones for us is we're called to the marketplace. We have a church filled with marketplaces, and that is a calling for this house. I think we're a house that is called to evangelism. I think we're a house that's going to enter into the education sphere. I think as individuals, the Lord might call you to different things. He might call you to education. He might call you to family. He might call you to theater. He might call you to creativity. I think 
there's places that he's assigned you to. And if he's assigned you to those places, then he's given you authority in that place. I think part of what makes us the body of Christ is we are assigned to different things. And so, you know, I don't have a theater bone in me. I don't have that many creative bones in me. I may not have that much authority in the creative world, but Rachel does. Mariah does. Different ones do. Ivan does. You guys have giftings and we need each other. And when we understand, if I can understand what I'm called to and I can understand what you're called to, and we can have understand what we are called to, we can begin to equip each other and support each other to go and bring influence to the spheres that we're called to. All I'm, all I'm talking about today, these assignments, it's what I said in the beginning. We have individual assignments, but this is to be done in a corporate way because we need each other to push each other forward into the things that we're called to and not just to get into it, but to bring influence and to bring change. And we were here on Friday night, we, ha- we were having a meeting, and I love what Bill said, it, it, it's not just influence on the senior level. You're not just, we're not just trying to get you to the, be the president or the vice president so then you can influence. You can influence right where you are right now because you are coming from the kingdom of heaven with a whole onslaught of power and authority that this world knows not of. You get secret insight. Amen. We see this with Paul. Paul was called... Uh, to a specific people group. He was called to um, the Jews. Peter was called to the Gentiles. And so we see even this in scripture. Um, and I want to say this one last thing. When we are doing this, I think there could be a natural inc- inclination to start comparing yourself to one another. Don't get into comparison for, for two reasons. We don't want to measure, I don't want to measure myself against someone else. Because if I do that, then two things are going to happen, right? I'm either going to boast in my measurement because it's more than theirs, or I'm going to be insecure because it's less than theirs. Like it just doesn't, it, comparison just doesn't help in any way. I'm either going to you know, be tempted to be boastful or to be tempted to be insecure because I'm comparing what the breakthrough you had to the breakthrough I had. Instead of comparing, why don't I honor the gift that's on you? And if I honor it long enough, then your breakthrough will become my breakthrough. Okay, Romans 1.11, and we're going to end here. Romans 1.11 says this, because uh, the last point is an apostolic church and an apostolic people, they are assigned to impart spiritual gifts. Romans is an amazing book, 16 chapters about grace, about the glory of God, laying foundational teachings in Scripture. I mean, we're going through it verse by verse by verse on every other Thursday night. It's an amazing book. But what I love in this letter, Paul opens up in verse one, uh, chapter one, verse 11, and he says, I long to come to you, not to teach you, not to lay out this theology. That's not the thing that's burning on my heart right now. What's burning on my heart is I long to come to you, to lay my hands upon you and to impart a spiritual thing to you so that you would be established. And that word established, it means so that you do not easily fall over. So part of what roots us and grounds us and lets our roots go deep is receiving impartation of spiritual things. He wanted to come lay his hands on the Roman church so that he could establish them in the spiritual so that when winds of doctrine come, when the winds blow, they do not easily fall over, but they're established. And part of what we do as an apostolic people is we 
impart spiritual things. How do you impart spiritual things? Well, I recognize the gift that's on my life that may not be functioning in your life, and I just say, Lord, you're the disperser of the gifts. You've given it to me. If you've given it to me, you can give it to them, release it over them. And that's what Paul was doing. Paul was not ever lording himself over the people he was leading, but when he raises up Timothy and he raises up Titus and he's raising these people up, he's releasing everything he has to them to, so that they can function in the fullness of what he's functioning in. And as leaders and as the church, part of equipping the saints is releasing an impartation at times so that gifts are fanned into flames and things are imparted that only God can do. And I think it happens through the laying on of hands. I think it happens just from being in a room. I think we can pray from a distance. I mean, I think it happened over Zoom, to be honest with you. I do. I have faith for that. But when Paul ordained Timothy, he laid his hands on him and imparted to him gifts. He, he said to Timothy, when you wage the warfare in your life, wrestle with the prophetic words and the impartation that you received from the presbytery. And we saw in, in the book of Timothy how the elders had laid their hands on Timothy and released prophecy and, and released prophetic words. Yeah, the worship team can come up. Come on up. <laughs> I was like the whole, yes, Lord. Yeah, yeah, no, you're good. <laughs> I was like, oh, heaven is in the room. <laughs> and we see with Timothy that impartation was more than just an ordination act. It was more than just his initiation to ministry and then he would go on. But he had elders in his life, people in his life that would pray for him, prophesy him, impart things over him. And it was those words, those giftings that he's able to use to wrestle and fight the good fight of faith. When we're functioning in this, we're giving the church, the body of Christ, the ability to be equipped and to be able to wrestle and fight the good fight of faith because their toolbox is getting filled with tools, with practical things. They're receiving prophetic words, promises, vision in their life, and they're being imparted spiritual giftings to go and do the things that the Lord has called them, called you to do. In Hebrews, we see that it's part of the foundational teachings of Christ, where he says in the beginning, I think it's chapter six, first two verses, first three verses. I don't want to keep going over the baby Christian stuff. I, want to, I don't want to keep teaching you the things that we taught you at first. And he lists six things, and one of them is the laying on of hands, that it's baby Christian stuff, it's foundational things. And it's why we practice it here at this church. It's why we do it. We have a value as an apostolic church that we impart gifts one to another, that what I have, that the Lord's given me, if he's inviting me or, or speaking to me to do it, I can go ahead and have that authority to release it over you. Amen. Do you know what that takes? That takes me being aware of what it is that I carry. What do I have in my account? What can I bring? And then bringing it. Freely I receive, freely I give. And I think this is important. Because we, you know, we have hunger for more anointing, more authority, more impartation. And I do think that this is one of the ways that God uses to activate his people, to take us to new seasons, to, to for lack of better terms, higher levels and, and greater places and greater things. It's in not just this assignment, but in functioning within these assignments that we're talking about today. Why don't you guys stand with me?
I know I'm 10 minutes over time. I really believe that the Lord wants to open up our eyes and open up our ears to see and to hear him. I believe he wants to fan into flame gifts of God that are in, inside of us already. I believe that he wants to impart gifts over us. I believe he wants to activate his church. He wants to equip us. He wants to send us out, but not send us out without anything. He wants to send us out full. Father, we, we thank you today. We thank you for vision, Lord. We thank you for family, for connection, Lord. We thank you for the ministry of reconciliation, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray for those in this room who have a desire to hear and to see what you're saying, what you're doing, but they felt like their ears have just been clogged up. They felt like they're not equipped. Like, they, well, I just don't know how. I don't know how. I don't know how. It doesn't make sense. Father, I ask that you'd release grace over this room. But Lord, I ask that we would step out of the intellect of our mind and step into the faith of our heart and our spirit. I really feel like some of us, there's like this intellectualism of our mind that we have to understand completely how this works before we can enter into it. And I just want to give you permission to enter into this without fully understanding it, meaning well, how can you hear from God? How is that even possible? Am I going to hear an audible voice, an internal voice? I'm going to say, I don't, we don't know how he comes each time, but we know that he comes. So Father, I pray that you would open up the eyes of un our understanding, that you would open up our ears of our heart, that we would see and hear. Father, I speak to that which has been blocking hearing. I speak to that, which has been hindering love. And I say, Lord, would you let it be removed even now? Whether it's unbelief, whether it's fear, whether it's the feeling of not being qualified or it's for someone else, Lord, I ask that you would silence the voice of the accuser. And Lord, would you release the eyes of faith, a hearing heart. And I speak to the gifts that are on the inside of you. Some of you, like Timothy, even when you were young, whether it was your mom, dad, grandparents, whoever it was, but there was gifts, there was vision prophesied over you as a child. And you've yet to walk in the fullness of that. Father, I ask that you would fan into flame 
the gifts of God on the inside. And Lord, that you would bring to remembrance supernaturally words that were spoken over them even as a child. I feel like someone in your room, I don't know if it was your grandmother or your great-grandmother, she was like an intercessor, just a, a prayer warrior, and she prayed over you even as you were a baby. Is that anyone in this room? Like you have that story, like your, your grandmother, your, and she, I think she even might have passed away even before you got to get to know her. Could have been a great-grandmother. Who is that? Might not be anyone. That's okay. Juliana. Wow. Thank you. You as well. Okay. Can we, we just want to pray for these two. Can, if you can just put your hand back up and some guys can get around him. I'm going to pray for Jules. And we're going to pray for everyone too, but I just really feel that if that was you too, just quickly put up your hand. Father, I thank you even for childhood prophecies, childhood anointings, for callings that were made that maybe have been forgotten or have not been fully walked in. And Lord, we call them forth in their destiny. We call them forth into the fullness. We call forth the prophetic anointing over you, Juliana. We call forth the, the ministry of the prophetic, the ministry of the prophetic, Lord, that's more than just a gift, but it's a ministry. Lord, we call forth the hearing heart, that you would open up her, her heart to hear. Lord, even in this past season, as life has begun to try to clog up her hearing, Lord, we thank you for the, that the gates and the doors are flinging wide open over Juliana right now. Lord, I thank you for the inundation of the word of the Lord, dreams in the night, visions in the day. Jules, you're going to be even talking to people again. It's going to almost be like, Lord, stop whispering in my ear because I'm trying to actually have a conversation. Lord, I thank you for the influx of the voice of the Lord over her life. So we speak to the ears and the eyes and we say, be opened up in Jesus' name. Be opened up, be opened up. We say, prophesy. Prophesy of things to come. Prophesy of things that need to happen. Call things what they are. Cause things to happen call the future and bring it into today. Lord, we thank you for the heart of the Lord that's going to come forth. And Lord, we thank you for our brother in the back. We thank you right now for destiny and purpose. I even feel like there's, there's a, a breakthrough that's going to come even financially over your life as you begin to remember the prayers of your, of your grandparents. It's going to begin to open up the doors in the workplace and it's going to be, begin to open up the doors financially over your life. So we pray for him even now. I know Colt's praying for you, different ones. Just keep praying. But Lord, we bless him in Jesus' name. And we're going to go into worship. I'll, I'll pray for it too. We're going we're gonna to go into worship. And um, I know different ones got to go. We release you to go. If you need to pick up your kids, go pick up your kids. If you need to go, we bless you to go. But if you just, if, I feel like there's this invitation for the Lord. And we want to pray for you. We want to lay hands. I feel like there's an impartation of gifts today. I feel like there's an activation of gifts that maybe have been lying dormant inside of you. And I feel like there's an activation over your ears and your eyes. Ephesians says that he would open up the ears, the eyes of our heart, that we would know the height, the depth, the width of the love of Christ. There's a hearing heart like he gave to Solomon that brings wisdom. So if that's you, you're like, and you want prayer, we just invite you to come on up. If the ministry team can come join us in the front, the pastoral team. We want to pray for you today. We want to partner with you. And even for those of you who might be going, we bless you as you go. In Jesus' name. 
We hope you enjoyed the message. You can also follow us on Instagram at LifeCenterNYC or YouTube at LifeCenterChurchNYC.